Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and today I'm welcoming Deidre Taylor and Jalen Frazier to the WRGC studio to preview the Georgia College Theater and Dance Department's upcoming production, Detroit 67. Detroit 67, the story of two siblings' uphill battle to make it in the Motor City against a backdrop of personal and societal upheaval, makes its Milledgeville debut beginning Wednesday, November 8th in the campus Black Box Theater in downtown Milledgeville. Deidre Taylor, Jalen Frazier, welcome to WRGC Studios and Georgia College Connections. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I thought I'd start off our conversation at its most logical place. Can you please introduce the play Detroit 67? Okay, well, Detroit 67, like you said, is about two siblings, Shell and Link. I play the character Link. And basically, they have two best friends, Sly and Bunny. And they throw basement parties. And one particular time... During one of those nights, Link and his best friend, Sly, bring us in a white girl. And that's when the story starts to evolve and, you know, turn over. Yeah, so in the midst of all of this, um, Link and Sly are trying to create their own business. And um, that's when they also come into contact with the events that are going on in the city at large. And basically, they're trying to struggle with the different types of philosophies that tell black men to kind of pull up by their bootstraps and contribute to society in some ways. They're finding themselves through that as well as trying to trade in a better financial situation personally. And I understand as there is in many families, the brother and sister, they have some differences in, and I'll have to Slap me if I give away too much, but this club is part of their inheritance in some strange way. And they have uh, differences in how they see that going back to not only, I guess, enrich their community, but also enrich their family. Yes. Link wants to put the money into a bar and, you know, get the money that way and make more money that way and, you know, help out his sister, Shell, and, you know, his nephew, Julius, who attends Tuskegee University at that point in time, whereas Shell wants to get that money, and she just wanted to help the house out, but also, you know, just give the money to Julius for his school tuition. So they see two sides of it. Yeah, and the parties, they're after-hours parties. Typically, um, a lot of the after-hours establishments were called blind pigs, and they were illegal establishments. You weren't supposed to serve alcohol after 2 a.m. in Detroit. And so Lincoln Shell are using the their basement parties as a way to get extra cash for Julius. And what Link wants to do, instead of doing these kind of illegal parties, he wants to make a legitimate start with with the bar. Yes. And if I understand correctly, Link and Shell, they inherited the house from their parents. And so like this is a new thing in their life. It's not like that this was a business plan that they are operating on. Uh, It kind of, and I, I don't know because I've never seen the play myself, but it kind of fell into their laps in this way through the passing of their parents. Yes. Right, right. The the houses, their parents' house, as well as the the money that their parents have left them, and they're trying to decide how to invest it. And they have two different ways of yeah. um, investing that money. Uh, that's the big question. Like, what do you want to do with your money? Mm-hmm. At the, like in the show, so it's like that's the big question. What are you going to do with it? 
And why is that such a, I guess, an important symbol and not just of this play, but I mean, I think in the history of America and the way that we've portrayed it in drama, there's, it seems to be a recurrent theme, I think, in how we use what we've got to either enrich ourselves, make a better place around us. I mean, is that part of the story of this play? Yes, I think you're looking at the complexity of the African-American dream because you have in The Raisin in the Sun, it's a Mm -hmm. similar issue about there's an inheritance and how do we spend it, as well as in the piano lesson that we did a few years ago on our campus. And so with African-Americans, we have so little um, wealth and really what the inheritance is, it's not a huge inheritance, but it's something, it's a step up, it's a boost, it's money that they didn't have through their employment. And so it's how do you apply that in order to better yourself and what's going to be the most beneficial for yourself as well as maybe in the, the larger community um, in some, some instances. And we're coming close to the end of uh, our time in this segment, but you mentioned that this does have a similarity in theme from a production that the Georgia College Theater and Dance Department did a few years ago, which was the piano lesson. Why did the uh, department decide to put this play on? It is the 50th anniversary of the events in Detroit. So from 1967 to 2017, it has been 50 years since these events. And so we thought it would be a great way to honor the changes. And 1967 is a huge year for America. It kind of starts us into the turning point of a lot of the situations that we find ourselves in now. So it's a good place to look when we're looking at history and trying to apply it to what's going on today. Well, like I said, we're running out of time in this segment, so we're going to take this opportunity for a short break. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we are previewing the Georgia College Theater and Dance Department's production of the play Detroit 67. It'll make its Milledgeville debut on Wednesday, November 8th in the Campus Black Box Theater in downtown Milledgeville and play over the next course play over the course of the next two weeks. Joining me in the studio today are Deidre Taylor and Jalen Frazier, members of the production of Detroit 67. Stay tuned and we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. Don't you know the big D is burning? Ain't a thing in the world that Johnny can do. My hometown burning down for the drown. Wester and fear now. Well, it started on 12 and clear out that morning. I just don't know what it's all about. On 12 and clear mouth that morning. I don't know what it's all about. The fire wagon kept coming. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. If you're just joining us, we are previewing the Georgia College production of Detroit 67. I'm joined in the WRGC studio by Jalen Frazier and Deetra Taylor, members of the production that will begin in the Campus Black Box Theater on Wednesday, November 8th and run through November 19th. 
Now, as we were just leaving that last segment, we had talked about 1967 as a turning point, obviously in the city of Detroit, but also nationally, and we feel the reverberations today, 50 years later. I thought we'd start off this segment by talking about those historical events. Can you kind of introduce us to what was going on in Detroit in 1967? Well, to start there, I have to start a few years before that. And after World War II, the great migration of African-Americans north was still going on. But when World War II broke out, production was one of the ways that we won World War II. And Detroit was the center of that with the auto industry. And post-World War II, you have a lot of people going into Detroit for jobs and to work at the auto industry and other city services. So with the new African-American population, as well as others trying to seek more monetary gain in Detroit, there was a lot of conflict and racial tension in the city. And some neighborhoods began to become increasingly segregated. You also had a lot of black veterans from World War II as well as white veterans from World War II. And um, with that, some conflict over what it means to be a man um, in a patriarchal society. And America is still dealing with uh, patriarchy, um, although it's kind of changing today. But so you have these two very different ideas of what it means to be a, a man. You have black men who have been trained in the military with guns. And they're trying to assert their manhood in ways of full citizenship. The Double V campaign was victory at home as well as victory abroad with the Nazis. So they had that. And now they're coming home to claim their civil rights. And the white power structure was not necessarily ready to concede any rights to these new veterans. And that happened both in the North and the South. In the North, it looked very different because you had issues with housing that were slim. When the neighborhoods were increasingly segregated, you had fewer housing um, options for African-Americans and more and more people coming up from the South, um, escaping lynching and other forms of oppression. So that created a crisis situation. You also had the police that in Detroit would patrol the black neighborhoods and contain crime into the black neighborhoods as well as persecute those who are black who are participating in vices, such as blind pigs, prostitution, and other things, whereas the white perpetrators would say they did not receive hardly any attention. So this all created a powder keg situation in Detroit, and people were not happy living under this state of oppression. In the 1960s, you had Lyndon Johnson being our president in the mid-1960s, and of course, he passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. However, you also had the Vietnam War, and he was sending more and more troops, ground troops overseas, and a lot of them were African-American men. When we get to 1965, you start having events in Watts and, and others throughout the country in the summers, and summer became an opportunity for a lot of these violent uprisings across the nation. And so in 1967, you have some major um, figures such as Muhammad Ali, who gets stripped of his championship title. And he also is not allowed to box professionally and all because he refused to go over to Vietnam. So there are some bookends to today with, with sports figures that are very vocal about civil rights and, you know, having employment stripped from them as a result. So nationally, these are the types of things that are going on. You also have 
other voices like Stokely Carmichael, other than Martin Luther King, you know, speaking up that are more appealing to young people. And they are not committed to the nonviolent way of protest. Yes. So all these things are happening in 1967 in a larger (laughs) context. In the play itself, I mean, puts itself at kind of the center of actions that took place in Detroit in 67. Can you tie those together? Because obviously there are things about the characters in the play that place them at the center of a very historical event. Sure. So Detroit, as I mentioned, blind pigs were a part of the culture of Detroit. And on the evening of the rebellion, there were two Vietnam soldiers that had come back. And there was a party for them at one of the blind pigs. And the police raided the blind pig. And that's essentially what started the issue. Lincoln Shell have a, it's not necessarily a blind pig, but it's an after-hours bar. So they're operating an illegal bar on the short run to fund Julius's college education and hopefully get enough money along with their inheritance to go legit with a, with a, a legal bar. So Lank and Shell are um, participating in something that a lot of, of black people participate in to get by for various reasons. And they find themselves trying to protect their new business property. Lank and, and Sly, who is um, Lank's best friend, are trying to go secure the papers for the bar. And once the events take place, they are now trying to keep people from burning down this this new property that they have. That causes some of the main conflicts in the play. So we're going to take this opportunity for a short break. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we are previewing the Georgia College Theater and Dance Department's production of the play Detroit 67. It'll make its Milledgeville debut on Wednesday, November 8th in the Campus Black Box Theater in downtown Milledgeville and play over the course of the next two weeks. Joining me in the studio today are Deidre Taylor and Jalen Frazier, members of the production of Detroit 67. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Georgia College Connection. I kissed it around to find it out I don't know I don't know what the trouble is this morning. I just can't sit around to find it out. Taking my wife and my family and those Chinese curtain down. The motor city's burning. Ain't a thing that I can do. Oh, the motor's still burning Ain't a thing that I can do I just hope people It'll never happen to you Yes, yeah I can hear the farmer He said, let's get out of here Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. If you're just joining us, we are previewing the Georgia College production of Detroit 67. I'm joined in the WRGC studio by Jalen Frazier and Deetra Taylor, members of the production that will begin in the Campus Black Box Theater on Wednesday, November 8th and run through November 19th. 
And when we talk about the historical events that took place in Detroit in the summer of 67, people refer to it in different ways. Some people call it a riot. Um, I've heard you say, um, call it a rebellion or an uprising. I was wondering if you might talk about that discrepancy and the way that it's viewed in the present. Sure. Um, historians, as well as those who experienced the events, um, differ on what to call it. The media was supposed to latch on to the word disturbance. That's what the mayor and the, the city officials wanted them to call it. However, they latched on to the word riot. When you look at media, media being the first draft of history often, that's where we get a lot of this uh, language around the word riot. The word riot for a lot of people native to Detroit doesn't accurately describe mm -hmm. the events. There was what they, they would term more of a riot in 1943. It was started mob violence, both black and white, and there was interracial violence, and it was around rumors of a black child being thrown into a river and a, a white woman being raped on the other side. So that was more what a riot was for a lot of Native Detroit people. The events in 1967 were a protest against police brutality, poor housing, lack of safe employment for, for jobs. A lot of the black people who were hired for these auto jobs had the most dangerous and most menial jobs. And a lot of them, if they had jobs, even as police officers and such, they weren't promoted. So you're looking at all of these pressures. And then the people that are operating blind pigs or trying to get by because they don't have very many other financial opportunities. So all of these things make for anger on a lot of people's part. And so that's why you have a, a rebellion. And that's what a lot of the participants term it as. And historians, of course, are still doing the work of unpacking rebellion, uprising, riot, which I think riot is the least favorite term. It's a more pejorative term. Right, mm. right. It also seems like when we talk about the media in the, the 60s, nationally, it's, it's predominantly a white media. And yes. they might be more apt to use a pejorative like that and not realize some of the underpinnings of the struggle that was taking place between the city government and its black citizens. Yes. Right. Right. And there was also some class differences between those the black people that were part of the city government that are middle class and upper middle class and wealthy versus those who didn't have any means. And so there was a lot of tension even in the black community along class lines and who gets what resources. Detroit was considered a model city. Um, the mayor had solicited funds from Lyndon Johnson and his new model city program with all of the great society things that he tried to do and wasn't very successful in them because of a lot of the money going to the Vietnam War. However, Detroit was able to secure those funds, but the way they implemented and spread the money about, it wasn't able to effectively serve the poorest and most disenfranchised um, citizens. Speaking of the media, I guess I, I'd like to pivot to Jalen a little bit. As a dramaturg, I'm, I'm the historian of the play, so I was helping the actors get in historical context. And we did watch a documentary from the, the time period um, from NBC News. So I wanted to, you know, you could maybe ask Jalen or Jalen could talk about what he saw and what he thought of of the media coverage. There. Well, watching the video that you showed us, I kind of felt like, first of all, it was very disturbing, number one. And as an actor, I do try to get really deep into the characters as far as like 
in depth. I really like to dig deep down into it. But the footage, I, I felt watching that in that particular time, I felt like, you know, most of it was basically like a show-off piece. It did make Detroit like a bad city, and it did make people who are African-American, it did make them look bad. And I honestly did not like that at that point. And I think that's the built of the frustration of me, but also as the character and whatnot, because, you know, I want to make sure this is how Link felt at that particular time. A lot of those images, it was it was really hard to see and, you know, to see people who have the same skin color as you, you know, to get beat and, you know, to to get dogs chased after them, you know, and to see all the blood. I think that's what kind of like really, really got to me a lot was the blood. And, you know, just see all of that. And 33 people who... 43. Yeah, 43 people who passed away during the riots. One of the biggest thing is this show, I like to say this is like a dedication to them. For all those people who have passed away, for all those people who have risked our lives, you know, that was a moment of history that I will never forget. And by watching that, I believe people should watch the NBC video so they can get a better picture of it and, you know, sit down, watch it, and then, you know, look at it. And then, you know, see how the media in the way how they made people who were residents in Detroit, how they felt. And, you know, um, it was, like the newscaster had asked the lady, you know, how does she feel about it? And she gave her two cents. And But beside that, you know, you saw the guys who were on the wall and whatnot. Why not ask them? You chose somebody else. Why not ask them? Why not ask the children how they felt? Because that's something that they have to live with at the end of the day. So within that, I felt like the media did not do a good job at that point of it. But this is why we have students now who can make a change and who can do a difference. And not as being as familiar with the Detroit uprising, do those images resonate with you um, against images that we've seen more recently of uh, communities almost occupied by law enforcement, by government troops? Yes, of course. I think we were having this conversation earlier. You know, I felt like Detroit was our Charlottesville in some type of way. You know, the images, I feel like they they are the same, but, you know, I'm, you know, I wasn't born in 67, so I wouldn't know. (laughs) But being a millennial and seeing images now, you know, that hits more. That really does hit more. And, you know, I always tell people who do come see the show, you know, always think about it, you know, this could be me in that situation. This could be me. Take away skin tone, who you are, that doesn't matter anymore. This could be me. And within that, I feel like that has something to do with now, especially with Charlottesville happening and whatnot. I definitely feel with that. And other different cities who have had riots, policemen coming into the cities and whatnot and taking over that, you know, beating people up and killing people. That really does hurt. So it history repeats itself. That is that is a good thing to cover this all of. Hip history repeats itself. It makes a full circle. I think it is slightly frustrating for me as a historian though, because people often say that history has nothing to do with today. Yeah. Oh, when did, when, when excuse see... me, when did they say that? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I gotta jump into there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who said that? <laughs> well, it's just kind of a common, you know, thing is like, oh, it's that was then, this is now, you know, that had, they're two different things. 
But when you see the footage from Ferguson, when you see the footage from Charlottesville, mm-hmm. and you look at things happening in Detroit and Watts in the 60s, that was over 50 years ago. And here in the case of Detroit, 50 years ago, and same things are still happening. Yeah. And the reason why is because people refuse to unpack the history. They they want to just deal with, well, this is now and, and it has nothing to do with that. And the root causes are way back um, and can a lot of times extend all the way to slavery. The beginnings, you know, of the, of the racial oppression. Racialization, yeah. I would yeah, almost even say. Yeah, the racialization of America, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's important to look back if we're going to have any hope of solving what is going on today. It makes people uncomfortable sometimes to do that, but it's important to to go through that process and, and face it in order to try to fix it so that Jalen can live in a better yeah. world. I would love that. It's, the, it's, it's actually the truth. It's the truth. You know, people are really, really scared of the truth when they see it. When they see it, like, full on, people are really scared of the truth, so they run from it. And, you know, sometimes they even use that as anger, as a defense mechanism within that. Because, you know, oh, I don't want to see that. I want to hear that. It's the truth. And until you realize the truth and whatnot, and until you head the truth, head like, you know, go with the truth head on, that's when things are going to change. And and then, you know, if you don't listen to it, it's not going to change. You're just going to repeat the same thing. It's It's a lesson. And there's a reason why that things are happening like this. And so usually at the end of these interviews, I ask, what would you like the audience to take away? I think we may have answered that in that last one. So I'll flip it on its head and say, what questions would you like the audience members to come in with as they go to see Detroit 67? Well, I believe, number one, when you go see a show like this, you first need to be open minded, meaning you need to have an open heart open mind. You need to go there, you know, full on. I'm ready to receive the message. But basically, I want them to really realize that anything can happen. This can happen to me. This can happen to anybody, you know, at the end of the day. Let's just say that things can happen. I want people to understand. But my biggest question I want them to ask is, how can I help this out? What can I do, you know, to make this better make the world a better place what what solution can i you know how can i help that's the biggest thing how can i help what can i do and i i think when that happens and that's when if we all come together as a unit as one that's when we can make change and that's when things can happen and that's when we can stop these disasters yeah i want the audience to ask um how how can i grow I think there there are a lot of things that people come with with baggage and they're not mm-hmm. necessarily open to to things they come with well I'm not racist or that doesn't really apply to me and I I want them to to think about how can I grow if there is something that doesn't apply to you great but there there probably is something that is going to apply to you or rub you you know some type of way and I want you to unpack it and investigate it mm-hmm. why did that make me feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable go back and and look at some of the things like why was why was this situation even happening that made me feel uncomfortable so historian I guess do some research um, as to <laughs> why you know whatever was going on in, in the in the production made you feel um, uncomfortable or or it could be hurt mm-hmm. Um or even angry. They need to come in, as Jalen said, open-minded, open-hearted, but also with the growth mindset. There's always something that we can work on. 
No human being is perfect. And just to leave our audience in a place where they can go out and enjoy Detroit 67, how can they find out more? The theater and dance department has posters everywhere. Yes. Um, you can yes. also stop by and talk with uh, Miss Tina Alvarez. Facebook, yeah. um, you can get tickets at gcsutickets.com, I believe. And do it that way. Or you can come to the show during times performing and you can get your tickets then. And I think that's about it. Mm-hmm. Well, Jalen Frazier, Deidre Taylor, thank you so much for coming in, talking to our audience about Detroit 67. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today we are talking about the Georgia College Theater and Dance Department's upcoming production of Detroit 67. Detroit 67 will make its Milledgeville debut beginning on Wednesday, November 8th, and run at the Campus Black Box Theater over the course of the next two weeks. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It's been my pleasure spending this portion of the evening with you here on Georgia College Connections, and I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time.